5. Judges chapter 5, sermon text for this morning. Continue our study in the book of Judges. And that brings us to chapter 5 today. Hear now God's holy and inspired word. He gives it to his people for our good. Please give your attention to its reading. Judges chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Avinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves... Praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Village life in Israel ceased, ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. When they chose new gods, war came to the city gates, and not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people, Praise the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, sitting on saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts of his warriors in Israel. Then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up, break out in song. Arise, O Barak. Take captive your captives, O son of Avinoam. Then the men who were left came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came to me with the mighty. Some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did she linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the field. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Ta'anak by the waters of Megiddo. But they carried off no silver, no plunder. From the heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river, the river Kishon. 
March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hoofs, galloping, galloping go his mighty steeds. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women, be Jael, the wife of Heber, the, the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell, there he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell, where he sank, there he fell, dead. Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? The wisest of her ladies answered her. Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? A girl or two for each man? Colorful garments as plunder for Sisera? Colorful garments embroidered, highly embroidered? Garments for my neck? All this as plunder? So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. People of God, this is a, quite the chapter in the middle of the book of uh, Judges. We find that it is a, a bit of a misfit in the rest of the book, which is a book filled with narrative accounts. We see that there is connection to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is where we have seen the people of God have victory over the people of Javin, king in Canaan, and Sisera, the commander of his army. This is the only passage that is like this in Judges. Poetic, a song, and a recounting of much of what we have seen in chapter 4. This causes many scholars to write it off, to say, well, this is kind of later on in uh, the Old Testament era, way after the monarchy, very late, somebody sort of made a bad decision to kind of throw in this, this poetic song in the middle of Judges. And uh, because there are all these contrasts to chapter 4, it shows that it's, it's a much later uh, addition to it. But of course, we know, we addressed that last week, and we know that each and every word in Scripture is there for our good, it's there according to God's purpose. When we approach Scripture that way, we really begin to see the many ways, uh, the remarkable ways that God communicates His truth to us. A few things that I'd like you to keep in mind as we unpack some of this song, some of this poem, there's obviously a lot here, we'll need to focus in on a few things. The first is the primary place of worship. The primary place of worship. And we'll see that as as something we apply very directly to the Christian life. Secondly, is the God who deserves our worship. And so we see true worship put on display in recounting the mighty deeds of God. And we also see the kind of life, the kind of service that true worshipers show forth in their life. So the primary place of worship, worshiping of the true God. And we see also the kind of service 
that true worshipers show forth in their lives. Verse 2 has an an interesting phrase that becomes a a thread woven throughout this entire song. Now, as we notice, this is Deborah and Barak who sing this song. We also see that most of the perspective seems to be from Deborah. And that that confirms what we saw in chapter 4, that because of the lack of faith that Barak showed, and also the, the, the spiritual strength that Deborah showed, a lot of the manly glory of this account is stripped from Barak. He, he loses out on a lot of that glory. And a lot of this song is really more from Deborah's perspective. So we notice that. But it also begins in verse 2 where there is a praising of God for the willingness of his servants. You look and you see willing servants of the Lord, and the song then praises God. In other words, God is to be praised when people willingly offer themselves in service to God. The book of 3 John, a really interesting verse in regards to this, the Apostle John uh, looks out, he sees the, the, the part of the church that's been entrusted to him, And he praises God. He thanks God when he knows that his children, his spiritual children, are walking in the truth. 3 John verse verse 3. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Since God is to be praised, we hear it clearly put forward in verse 3. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. So right from the start, we see, through the voice of Deborah and Barak, but really mostly Deborah, I I sense, as you read this chapter, again, mostly from her perspective, we hear and we know what this song is all about. It's about praising God. It's about worshiping God. Now, the book of Judges is a book about worship, isn't it? But it's a book that is mostly about false worship. It's mostly about uh, idolatrous worship. And so this, this is a misfit, isn't it, in the book of Judges? Not only in that way, but, but Deborah herself is a bit of a misfit in the book of Judges because uh, we hear and see nothing negative about her. All we see is a, a strong will to serve God, a deep spiritual commitment to her Lord. And so we have here a, a, a song of praise, a song of worship that stands out in the book of Judges. And that teaches to us that first point, the primacy of worship. Worship is to have a primary place in the life of, a Christ, of the Christian. Uh, worship is, of course, it encapsulates all of our lives. We offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. But to come together and to sing to God is to have a primary place in our lives. When we sing to God, our entire person is caught up in worshiping Him. Our bodies are being used to sing to God, some more in tune than others, but we all sing with all of our might. And it's amazing when you, I was just thinking about this as we're singing Crown Him with Many Crowns, it really takes up a lot of energy, just physically, to sing to the Lord. Meanwhile, our minds are following along, reading the words, that's why we sing theologically, doctrinally, and scripturally rich hymns. We follow along and and then our hearts resonate to that truth. It really takes up all of the person when we sing to God. Proper worship of God is where the Christian life begins. If you want to live a life of service to God, 
You don't skip church in order to go and serve the Lord for that hour and a half on Sunday morning. You begin here, you start here, and then you work out from there. If you want to adore God in your life, it begins here. We also see the one who is worthy of praise. So you see the primacy of Christian worship, the primacy of the worship of God's people, but we also see the one who is worthy of praise, the only one. Worship oriented towards any other entity, any other being other than the God of the Bible is not only foolish, it is evil. The judges condemns false worship again and again. All idols underfoot are to be trod. So the, who is the God they're worshiping? And how do they worship him? Well, it's the God of Israel, and it's the God who has done mighty deeds in history. He comes from Edom to save in Egypt. He appeared at Sinai. But they named this history not because this is a God who remained at Sinai. He did not stay there. He continued to intervene, to go before, to be with his people. In other words, the God who was the God whom we praise at Sinai is the God whom we praise today and the God whom we will praise tomorrow for he is the same yesterday and today and forever. What was in accord with his character at Sinai is in accord with his character now. And it will be in accord with his character for all time. And what does our God do? What does he do? He's a God who saves his people. He's a God who forgives the sin of his people. And in the context of this part of Judges, he's the divine warrior. They're celebrating him as the God who goes before, who goes into battle, and who wins the battle. Psalm 18. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my cry, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. God is angry that his people are in distress. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. Here, Israel is in dire need of salvation. The days of Deborah, the days of Barak, aren't they? We read in the next section of this song, the, the, the streets were abandoned. In other words, normal life has ceased in Israel. It reads like a dystopian novel. If anyone wants to go from one place to the next, do they go out on open roads? No, they go through back roads. They're sneaking around. Why? Because there is danger everywhere. Why has the promised land, why has the land God gave to his people, why has it become so dangerous? Well, of course we know, because God's people failed to expel all of the evil people that were there when they came in. Furthermore, uh, we might be able to say, how does a society, how does a community, how does a civil, civilization become dangerous? How does it become dangerous? It's when the strong do not do their job to provide protection and stability to the weak. When the strong do not do their job, their obligation to provide protection and stability in the weak, for the weak. We see something like this in, in Barak, right? He is he's sort of weak in faith when God says, I'll be with you, I'll give you victory. 
he refuses to go out to the battlefield alone, that the word of God is not enough for him. In fact, this era in Israel has such a dearth of good men that Deborah names these days the days of Shamgar and Jael, two foreigners, one of whom is a woman. Passive men, afraid to enter the fight, afraid to banish the enemy, made Israel this way. Dangerous. Trade had stopped. A regular community life had ceased. The only language everyone spoke was power. And so we read that Deborah arises as what? She arises as a mother in Israel. As we spoke last week, we don't see Deborah named as an official judge or deliverer in later lists. And there are many reasons why we shouldn't think of her that way. And here we see there's a title not of royalty and rule, but of household care and concern. She arises as a mother to all Israel. A protector in the most intimate sense of the word. Deborah even expresses surprise to that effect. I, even I, Deborah, arose. Now, this, especially this era in human history, that a woman would all of a sudden play such an important role in the safety of the nation is surprising. But when she's described as a mother in Israel, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? When is a woman... Most dangerous. When is a woman most dangerous? When is she sure to muster up every ounce of strength, rage, and fury that she has and show endless courage? Right? It's when her young are threatened. It's when her young are threatened. I have a pastor friend who lives in the, the northern suburbs. I was talking with him this past week in a very safe, very family oriented community. And this is not a a funny story at all, but as he's kind of recounting it to me, you almost can't help but laugh just because of of how it shows this principle at work. Again, not funny at all, but he he lives in a very safe town, very safe community. And just recently, uh, there is a man who was released from prison. He's been convicted of somewhere about six or seven uh, sexual abuse, sexual assault crimes, particularly towards the young. And he moved into... Uh, his neighborhood. And again, he said, you know, as long as we've lived in this, in this neighborhood, been nothing but peace, friendliness, all the neighbors know each other. We spend time out in the front yards together, really front door neighbors, which is something that is lost in American life now. Uh, but it illustrates the point. He said, in the last week and a half, every single mom in our entire neighborhood has either purchased a gun or spends all of their time on the phone trying to figure out whom they can talk to to get this guy out of the neighborhood. They want to, they want to kick him out. And it, this is this instinct that's flaring up in their hearts because all of a sudden they feel that their young are under threat. In the American wilderness, what's the one figure you need to watch out for? The mama bear, right? The mama bear can be the most aggressive uh, and the strongest that you might encounter. So a woman's strength is seen most clearly in her mothering instinct. Israel was like a child exposed to all these dangers, uh, really their own fault, but Deborah arises as a mother in Israel. And then we see the story recounted. Finally, after she, uh, mother in Israel, she arises as a mother in Israel. She calls upon uh, the, the people of the other nations, say, hey, you who are riding on saddled blankets, Look at our people. What are we doing? We're singing to God. We're worshiping him. 
And then from that point on, we see going out, recounting on the field of battle. And what is the one thing that this song is concerned with when it comes to God's people? Whether or not they answered the bell to go to war. All that the song is concerned with in this section, when Deborah's counting all of the people groups, Zebulun, Naphtali, Benjamin, Ephraim, the only thing she's concerned about is, did they go? Not how they fought, not the kinds of things that they did on the field of battle. It was who went to the fight, who answered the bell. Because of this, the ones who go are remembered in this song as faithful, as worthy of honor. You can't help almost but remember uh, the speech from Henry V. Particularly, I'm thinking of the the movie version, because I confess I haven't read Henry V, uh, the the play itself, but I've seen the movie. And the king, as everyone's worried, no one's going, uh, we're, we're so few, we have no going out to the field of battle, there's no one with us, there's no way that we can win. What does King Henry say to his men, to his fighting men? He says, you shall be remembered from this day until the ending of the world. Because you fought, because you answered the bell. And gentlemen who are now at home in England shall think themselves accursed that they weren't here. While anyone speaks of the battle that happened on St. Crispin's Day. So Deborah chastises those who don't answer the bell. Why, Why did they not come out to battle? Gilead, Reuben, Dan. Why did they not answer the bell? Basically, they couldn't be bothered. Some were listening to music. Some were engaging in trade. Some were making money and just were too preoccupied with their own uh, pursuit of whatever earthly pleasure they had chosen. So the lessons abound for us with this. And I'd like to focus on just a couple of them. First, we remember that uh, we appear on this earth as God's people when we are engaged in true service to him. In this song, it says, The people of Yahweh went out to the battle. The people of Yahweh went out to the battle, and that actually is the only time in the entire book of Judges that the phrase, the people of Yahweh, appears. In other words, we appear as the people of God on the earth when we are engaged in true service to him, when we are doing the work he has commanded us to do. What are some ways that we as God's people now are engaged in the true service to him. The first is being able to provide love, encouragement, and help to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one way that we answer the bell and enter the fight. We provide love, encouragement, protection, and help to our brother and brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 John chapter 3, we read this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The first thing that we do is we give help, encouragement, and support to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The second way that we enter the fight, the second way that we enter the fray and answer the bell is by standing for God's truth. By standing for God's truth and working to defeat the enemies of truth. This takes courage in our day 
Relativism abounds both inside and outside of the church. People are tempted to say, well, uh, whatever anyone believes, that's fine, even if it's in close connection to us in terms of uh, our ecclesiastical relationships. We read in Jude chapter 1, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend. Fight. Fight for the faith. Fight for the content of the Christian faith that has been revealed to us. When we say the creed, when we say the confessions, when we affirm all that has been passed down to us, we are saying that what we believe matters. What we believe matters. And we need to take a stand for it. Eric Little Uh, Olympic champion and missionary says this, each one comes to the crossroads at some period of his life and must make his decision for or against his master. We come to many crossroads in our lives, perhaps in the sovereignty of God. We need to be willing to enter the fray. What it all means and what we're reminded of really is that ultimately this is the greatest purpose of our life. Why were we put here to serve and love and glorify God? Why were we put here to be engaged in service to him as he reminds us of his grace and gives us power and strength to do so? There's a prayer poem by Richard Baxter says this, Lord, it belongs not to my care whether I die or live. To love and serve thee is my share and this thy grace must give. If life be long, I will be glad that I may long obey. If short, Yet why should I be sad to soar to endless day? My, my knowledge of that life is small, the eye of faith is dim. But tis enough that Christ knows all, and I shall be with him. If we're engaged in the, the primacy of Christian worship, recognizing God for all that he has done, then that is where he equips us to be able to enter the fray of Christian service with courage with diligence, and with hope, knowing all that he has promised to us. Notice also that as the victory of the battle is recounted, it all is attributed uh, to the Lord. So again, the song is concerned with who went out to the field of battle, but then we read that God, the divine warrior, what does he do? Well, it says the heavens battled against the people of Canaan. The river overflowed. The horses were thrown into a frenzy as we talked about last week. That's really what happened at this battle. God goes before his people. He sent a fierce thunderstorm. The river overflowed. Uh, Jabin, Sisera's army, was an iron chariot army. And when you're in iron chariots and all of a sudden a river starts overflowing, the terrain becomes muddy and mucky. Uh, Your advantage is taken away. And that's how God's people experienced uh, the victory. And because of that, God is the one who is shown to be the victorious warrior in victory, who crushes his enemies. The story of Jael is recounted again. It's It's recounted again for us in vivid detail, isn't it? About the tent peg going through Sisera's temple Now, why is it told to us again? We got it in chapter 4. We get a careful recounting here in chapter 5. Because in everyone's mind, they would have been thinking the fact that a woman takes out this, this amazingly strong and powerful warrior, tricks him in such a way, 
This victory can only be attributed to the power of God. It only could have been him to give us this victory. And then we get this interesting passage at the end of the chapter where Sisera's mother is looking out the window and there's, there's this kind of sarcasm of the telling of this story, almost a, a mocking of her as she's waiting for her son. Now, we've been thinking in this passage already about some, some mothering motifs and themes, that uh, the connection between mother and child is extremely special. It's an extremely powerful bond, perhaps unlike anything else uh, in the world. And so we read this and we say, well, Sisera's mom is a mom unlike, uh, or just like all others. And so our heart kind of goes out to her. But then how does she quell her worries? She says, well, he's probably just out enjoying the plunder and the spoils of war. And where it says there, one or two women for each man, it's actually one or two wombs for each man. So this is is her thinking that, oh, my son's probably just off raping a couple of women because that's what happens when you win a battle. That's what happens when you're enjoying the spoils of war. And so it's putting it before us to remind us that this is a people of true wickedness. Even the mothers of the children are rationalizing this kind of wickedness in their midst. It's causing us to remember that those who stand against the Lord in truly evil fashion, we are to rejoice that God is going to crush his enemies. We are are to rejoice that God is to take away all evil, and he's promised to do so. When we come face to face with true evil, it's then that we know we are to rejoice that our God is strong. And so we read at the end of the the song, so may all your enemies perish, O Lord. It's really like when we pray, thy kingdom come. What does our catechism say about that phrase? When we say, thy kingdom come... We are saying, God, destroy the devil's work. Destroy every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your word. Do this until your kingdom is so complete and perfect that in it you are all in all. We are to desire and pray for God's kingdom to come. And then what happens at the end of the song? The land had peace for 40 years. When God crushes his enemies, he gives peace. He's the God who makes wars cease to the ends of the earth because he is the only one who can completely and fully and finally wipe out all evil and all wickedness. And so as his people, we pray, thy kingdom come. We want that to happen. And yet at the same time, we remember that he conquers people to himself. So in the midst of our praying, thy kingdom come, and destroying the devil's work, destroying evil, we also know that while we await that day, God is pleased to conquer his enemies to himself and to save them in salvation. So where do we see the greatest picture of the strength and the power and the might of God? It's in Jesus Christ. It's in the strength of the Father to give the Son It's in the steely resolve of the Son to go all the way to the cross, to die for those who were yet at enmity with Him, to die for those who had run away from Him, to die for those who were arrayed in the the, the army clothing of the enemy, and to go out into the field of battle and to conquer His way 
so that he might conquer us to himself. And so when we pray, may all your enemies perish, O Lord, we're thinking on the last day God will crush all wickedness and we will see his glorious justice put on display. But nevertheless, we also pray in the meantime that his grace would go forward and that his glorious grace would be glorified in this world and in this life as he destroys his enemies, as he makes them his friends, as he makes them his children, just like he has done to us in his grace, by his power, and by the power of the gospel of grace. We love the Lord because of this. We love the Lord. As this prayer says, may all who love you experience this blessing of our great God. It causes us to evaluate our own lives, to Do I really love the Lord? Have I been captured with this vision of the gospel of grace, with this vision of the gospel of Christ that causes me to be able to say, I can do nothing but love my God who has conquered me to himself and who continues to subdue me under his power, knowing that one day he'll conquer all his and my enemies. Let's pray. God, you are a mighty fortress, and we give you all the thanks and praise. You are glorious. We don't understand the depths of the things that you reveal to us, and yet we know that we are to attend to them, that we might see and know the glories of your truth, the glories of your gospel. We pray that we would rest in it, even as we wrestle with many of the things we find in your word. We thank you for them. We seek to know them in a deeper and more intimate way. By your spirit, then, illumine these scriptures to us. In Christ's name, amen.